Hello, my name is Thomas Hagen. I'm the young adult pastor here at First Christian Church. I'm excited to share with you in God's words today. We're gonna to be looking at one of my favorite chapters in the Bible, Acts chapter two. So as the young adult pastor, I get to do some cool things. I get to hang out at Millican University a lot. We have a presence there. We also have a presence where we teamed up with Inner Varsity Christian Fellowship at Richland College. We meet there for two Bible studies during the week. And also, we have on Thursday nights something here in the church called Young Decatur. Now, Young Decatur is a large group worship session where we break up into small group Bible study, and we also get together for fellowship. And when I think of this word fellowship, is Christians, we usually use it as one of our Christianese words for just like hanging out or being with one another. But this word fellowship means so much more than that. So let's say I get some of the guys from Young Decatur over to my house and we're planning to have Bible study. But instead, we um, get distracted with a ping pong tournament followed by a midnight Taco Bell run and then maybe playing Pokemon Go downtown afterwards. I'm basically describing to you my life in the summer of 2016 as the prolonged adolescent pastor. Um, actually, the guy who was playing drums, Brian, that's how we became friends, being insomniacs and playing Pokemon Go. And we eventually went to church and started playing music together. He's single, by the way. He's a great musician, cool guy. So, uh, <laughs> help Brian out. But yeah, it's really good to be here. All that Pokemon Go fun, ping pong, it's great. Hanging out's great, but it's not fellowship. That's hanging out. But this concept of fellowship is what we'll be talking about today. We are currently in the last week of our Rule of Life series. And when we say rule of life, we're not meaning moral do's or don'ts, but rather we're talking about practices that we can put together in order to grow in our faith. So I like to think of a rule of life as a level shelf. See, the word rule comes from the word regula, which is the Latin word for a straight stick or a ruler. And so when I think of a rule of life, I think of it as the shelf where we take our habits and practices and we place them on the shelf. Here are some habits and practices that we've talked about over the past few weeks. Um, prayer, we put that on the shelf. Um, studying scripture, getting out in nature in God's creation, and then also detaching from media. And these are things that we take down regularly, right? We take it down often so that we grow in our faith and we continue in those practices. Now, up until this week, we have focused on practices that can be done alone. But today, we're gonna focus on a practice that has to be done in a group. We're gonna add to the regular shelf the practice of committing to community. We're gonna add to our rule of life the practice of committing to community. Now, over the past week, many of you have committed to community over Thanksgiving meals with your family, and that can be so much fun, you know? Family, loved ones, reliving old memories, making new memories, but that also can be frustrating, you know, with all the family and loved ones and reliving old <laughs> memories and making new memories. But being with family, it has its challenges, but it has its joys too. And I know that's different for everybody. But regardless of the joys or the challenges, it matters that we gather together because when we commit to community, we gain. And when we don't commit to community, there are dire consequences. I'm reminded of a science fiction TV show that I'm watching currently. I love me some science fiction, and it's called Manifest. Now the word manifest, comes from this idea, it's a list of people either on a ship or a plane. 
Now, this TV series is about a plane, 191 people on a plane, but it disappears. Spoiler alert, I'm gonna give away the plot of the first episode. Um, So we meet a family who is returning from a vacation to Jamaica. They live in New York City. Now, the grandma, the grandpa, and the mom and the daughter, they're able to get on the first flight home, but the flight is overbooked, right? That's what airlines always do. So the dad, the aunt, and the son have to stay back and follow their family a couple hours later. So the family split up, that's fine. Like, hey, we'll fly out first, and we'll meet you in New York, we'll wait for you at the airport. So everything's going fine, and uh, the second flight takes off, they get their peanuts, they get their Coke, they're chilling and uh, everything's going swimmingly, and then all of a sudden, boom, there's a flash of lightning, and the plane begins to plummet. The cabin is shaking with turbulence, and the passengers are screaming, and everyone's wondering, is this the end? Are we going to die? And in a split moment, the captain regains control of the plane, and everything levels out, and people calm down, and everything's fine, or so they think, because when the plane arrives back home two hours later, Right? There's two hours left in the flight. Two hours later, five years have passed in the rest of the world. Two hours on the plane somehow supernaturally has become five years in the real world. And the 191 people who are on that plane have been presumed dead for five years. So you can imagine families are overjoyed. They're like, we thought you were gone. You're back, we're so glad you're alive. But this is what caught my attention while writing this sermon and watching me some science fiction. Missing five years of community had some pretty dire consequences for the 191 passengers. Elderly parents, by the time they've gotten back, have passed away. Siblings have grown up without their brothers or sisters. And spouses have moved on to other people. So you can imagine there's some drama And as strange as this science fiction is, it points to a very true reality, that being removed from community has painful consequences. We miss important things and life moves on without us. And I'm reminded of this heartbreaking story that took place at Millican University just a few years ago. Uh, InterVarsity, so that is a Christian fellowship that's on campuses across the country. We have a chapter here at Millican. They planned a special event for graduating seniors. What we did was we uh, were gonna celebrate them, say, hey, good job, four years of school, you've graduated. We're gonna give them some gift baskets and pray for them as we send them off into the future. And my buddy Tyler, who is the local campus ministry president of InterVarsity, created gift baskets for every single senior who ever attended InterVarsity even if they only attended once in the last four years. So all of our regulars show up. But to our surprise, many of these students who'd only come once or twice several years ago show up as well. And one girl got up to share a story. They were surprised to find these gift baskets with their names on them. We had been waiting for them, including this one young lady. She got up to share because we gave everyone the opportunity to share in front of the large group, any, any parting wisdom or words of thanks. And she, this young lady who had been missing for several years got up and said something to the effect of, I can't believe I missed out on this community for the past four years. You were all here 
you were all here the whole time building each other up. I needed this group. I should have committed to being here. And it honestly was heartbreaking to see this young woman open up her heart and basically just express, ah, I missed out. Reminds me of the story Jesus taught called the prodigal son. A young man wanted to live a party lifestyle, so he left home and spent his inheritance on wild living. And the father every day patiently watched from the front porch for his boy to come home. Scripture warns us to remain committed to the community in order to receive the support we need. Let's take a look at Hebrews chapter 10, verses 24 and 25. And let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, not giving up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another. I love how this translation uses the phrase spur one another on. It makes me think of a cowboy boot, right? With the spikes on the heel, they're used to help the horse giddy up and get going. Now, this verse is not saying that you should be jumping on your friend's back and kicking them in the right direction. Like this verse doesn't condone that. It's not saying that the friends or family in your life who need a good kicking in the right direction. It's not saying that you, it's not about that. But this word, this phrase here, actually does hold a connotation of motivating or even provoking someone toward love and good deeds. Now sadly, the college senior mentioned earlier, she did not commit to the campus community and she missed out on relationships that would have spurred her on in her faith. However, there were lots of young adults and college students from the group who remained committed to the community and they grew in their faith, they were spurred on in their faith. They didn't do it perfectly. No one does it perfectly but they remained rooted, so they grew. Most of the young people who stayed in the Christian campus community are still walking with Jesus today. It's amazing. Some have become missionaries. Some serve faithfully in local churches. Others have become leaders as Christians in the art world, and some have become beacons of Christ to the corporate world. Committing to community kept them in relationship with other believers who encouraged them to love and to good deeds and they were able to do the same for others. It was mutually beneficial. Mutually beneficial, they spurred each other on. And this is not just about college students. That's where I spend most of my time, I love it, it's a good time. But regardless of your stage of life, committing to community is the key practice that keeps us rooted in faith. It's one of the key practices that keeps us rooted in faith. We should be taking it off the shelf regularly. Career-driven friends, it can be easy to, our, to allow our work to overtake our commitment to God or to overtake our commitment to the faith community. Work is a good thing, but when we make work the most important thing, we fall into the trap and the sin of idolatry. The sin of idolatry is putting anything before God. Single moms, your life is more difficult than I could ever imagine. Keeping up with work, providing for your kids, caring for your kids is like a dozen full-time jobs. I really, I don't even have the framework to understand how difficult that is for you. But I believe that's all the more reason why you need to be here. So you get the, so you get the spiritual support not only that you need, but also that your kids need. Mm. Parents of teenagers, there is a lot of things fighting for your kids' attention. A lot of things fighting for their time. 
But being in faith community, it's crucial if you want your kids spiritually healthy enough to actually take on this difficult world. Retired friends, you have paid your dues. Florida sunshine and tea time seem like a fine way to spend a Sunday. But we need you here. We need senior saints who continue to show up and show us how to live this faith out. And trips to Florida, they're a good thing. I know some people are moving to Florida, that's okay. But we also need you here. Families with elderly grandparents, bring your grandparents to church if they're able. They need the community. They need to see the hope of the future. And we need to see their legacy of faithfulness in order to be inspired by them. I am inspired when I look out and I see people from generation past and I'm like, yes, this is going forward. I'll be there one day too. College students, young adults, everyone for that matter, you need to commit to community now in a way that will shape your future career, relationships, and family. Don't look back on the next four years or 14 years or 40 years and say, ah, oh, I missed out. Now, committing to community is extremely difficult in our society because we live in a very individualistic world. It's all about me. We have iPads and iPhones and personalized size pizzas, which I love. I love personalized size pizzas. I usually have two, but that's all right. And I get into my car and I put on the music that I like and I drive to my job so I can acquire my success to get the things that I want. Me, 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 I, I, I. That's how we live our lives and it's also encouraged by our society. But God's design pulls us away from a me mentality to a we community. It's not about what can be done for me. It's about what we can do together. Catch this, you're not the object here. It's about what we're supposed to do together. A great way to overcome our society's individualism is to look at how the early church committed to community. It was not just a weekend faith for them. Their faith consumed every aspect of their lives. Let's learn from them in Acts chapter two, looking at verse 42. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. Everyone was filled with awe at the many wonders and signs performed by the apostles. All the believers were together and had everything in common. Verse 45, they sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. Every day they continued to meet in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. And the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. This is the early church 2,000 years ago. This is our heritage. This is where we get all these ideas from. The Christians created an all-encompassing community where they lived out their faith everywhere, every day. Back then, most of the corporate worship was done in homes, and today we meet in these larger buildings because the church has grown. But we still follow in the early church's footsteps, and we still have so much to learn from them. Let's take a look at verse 42 again. They devoted themselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship and to the breaking of the bread and to prayer. 
Now, I was studying this verse pretty closely this week, and I got out some original texts, I did some Greek translation, things like that, and I discovered something I'd never noticed before while reading this text. I realized that the following words, apostles, teaching, fellowship, bread, and prayer were paired with the definite article. That's the English word for the, and I know somebody like, why does that matter? This is why I found this uh, exciting. A more literal translation that is less concerned with making the English flow well. Our translators write this in such a way to make sure it makes sense in our flow of language. But if you're less concerned about this, a translation uh, would look something like this. And they were continuing steadfastly in the teachings of the apostles and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The, 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 the. So much the... Now, saying the that much in English is very awkward, but knowing that the the is implied before all of these words is helpful. Um, the use of the definite article here, this is what I thought was really cool. This is the nuance that I realized. The use of the definite article here helps us see that the early church was not gathering for teaching, food, and prayer in a general sense. Right? They weren't just hanging out, but rather they were gathered for something very specific planned and intentional. So let's break down verse 42 together and see what we can learn from it. So the first way the early church committed to community was gathering for the teaching of the apostles. This is the specific teachings that only the apostles could bring. The apostles were the men and women who walked with Jesus in the flesh. Literally months before this, these people, they saw Jesus and learned from him directly and then they went to the early church as the church was starting and they shared that information with them. They were learning from eyewitnesses of Jesus what he taught. And we get the same teachings today too. God has ensured that we get those same teachings through the book form of Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. God has made sure that we've gotten what we've needed but we continue in the same specific teachings of Jesus. Mm. So moving on again in that verse, uh, the fellowship. Now fellowship is this word that means to share in common. It means to have one accord, to be in agreement, to be gathered for a shared common purpose. So fellowship is more than just hanging out. Fellowship is gathering for one reason, and his name is Jesus. And we continue to do the same fellowship today by gathering in Jesus' name. We continue in the same spirit as the early church, the breaking of the bread. In college, the guys from my dorm had this amazing ritual. Every Friday night, a group of 10 of us would go to the chapel on campus with its 50-foot ceilings and beautiful stained glass windows and gather together to play laser tag, and it was incredible. We, <laughs> one of us may or may not have had a key to the building, but it was amazing, had so much fun. We were running up and down stairwells, shooting each other, looking over the balcony, sitting between pews, like trying to shoot, it was so much fun. My buddy, John, knew how to play the pipe organ. You know those big pipe organs where like, they literally fill up the building, and when you hit the chord, the building shakes? So this is what a Friday night sounded like for me. Ba-da-da, ba-da-da-da-da, Cover me. It was incredible. It was the most fun I ever had. 
And that was so much fun, but it technically wasn't fellowship. Even though we were in a chapel, it didn't count. Fellowship is what we did the night prior, Thursday nights at 11 p.m. after class was finished and homework was done, we met in our dormitory for floor communion. We got glasses full of grape juice, lots of day-old Jimmy John's bread, back when it was still free, they used to give it to college students for free. We took prayer requests and we sang the doxology hymn together, the one that goes, Praise God from whom all blessings flow. So good. That was fellowship. We were gathered to share in our common love for King Jesus. I love those times. Those are sweet times. Actually, I realized today I had a friend come to church. He was in the other auditorium and he was in that group. I was out of school. And actually, your son was in that group too. A lot of fun. A lot of fun. Now, don't get me wrong, Christians should play laser tag. We should watch football together. We should meet for coffee. We should play Pokemon Go, for sure. We should do late night Taco Bell runs. You should gather with friends after the service and go get lunch together. That's great, we should hang out. But hanging out is not a replacement for fellowship, intimate time together with each other and Jesus. Let's take a look at this verse again. And they were continuing steadfastly in the teaching of the apostles and the fellowship and the breaking of the bread and the prayers. The breaking of the bread included remembering Jesus in communion, but they were also gathering in homes for fellowship and for meals together. Following the early church's example, we continue to take communion here every single week. They may have met in homes and we meet in these bigger buildings, but we still gather for the same communion around the same Jesus. The last phrase in this uh, more literal translation here, it says, and the prayers, right? With the being specific and prayers, not prayer, but prayers being plural. This added connotation here helps us see that the early church was gathering together to not just take general prayer requests, but they gather together for specific, I believe, specific written, pre-written prayers from the Old Testament, because that was their scripture. They only had the Old, the Old, the New Testament still being written, so they have the Old Testament prayers and scriptures, including the Psalms. And we just read and prayed together Psalm 34 earlier in this service. We learned this from the early church. We're taking the pre-written prayers and praying and declaring them together. Just like the early church, we continue to gather for teaching about Jesus, fellowship around Jesus, remembering Jesus in communion, and praying to Jesus. They needed this community. We need this community. I need this community. And you need this community. Up until this point, We've learned how the early church worshiped Jesus together in their homes, but they weren't just hiding out in their houses. As we read on, we can see how the early church was public in living out their faith. Take a look at verse 46. Every day, they continued to meet together in the temple courts. That's a public space. They broke bread in their homes and ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. 
They were meeting in homes, yes, to worship and to eat meals together, but they are also not hiding. They got out into the world. They were sharing their faith in the temple courts. You see, at this time, all the Christians are Jewish still, and they are still going to the Jewish temple to worship the one true God, but now they have a deeper understanding of who that God is because they are now looking through the lens of Jesus. And I would argue for us today in our religion and our understanding of trying to understand God, that God only makes sense when you see Jesus because Jesus was God in the flesh and showed us what God would desire of us as people. And the, the temple courts I mentioned earlier was a public meeting space. They were out in public sharing their newfound understanding of scripture through the lens of Jesus. And what were the results? Look at verse 47. They brought good news and they were winning the favor of all the people. The faith of the early church affected every area of their lives. They lived out their communal faith together everywhere. And everywhere they went, they shared Jesus publicly we should do the same. The communal living of the first Christians even affected how they used their resources and their money. Look at verse 44. All the believers were together and had everything in common. They sold property and possessions to give to anyone who had need. They did not consider their hard-earned cash their own. This is a little foreign for us because we live in a very individualistic society but as we talked about earlier, we need to move from a me mentality to a we community. Thinking about how we can best use our finances collectively for the kingdom. One of the reasons that we give offering every week is because we know that when we pool our resources together, we're able to be far more effective for the kingdom of God. We follow in the early church's footsteps sharing our money, sharing our resources so we can have a greater impact and care for those around us. But why does this all matter? Like, why does it matter that we follow the early church's example of sharing resources, living out our faith at home and in public? Well, I can think of two reasons off the top of my head. I'm sure there are many more, but these are two that come to the top front of mind here. It's God's desire that we be in this type of community. He's literally set it up for us. He's what he, it's what he calls us to in scripture. He gave us the example of the close-knit Jewish community to be an example for us to step into. And when we commit to this type of community, this is the second reason, when we commit to this type of community, amazing things happen because it's the way God designed it. Look at verse 47 again. They enjoyed the favor of all the people and the Lord added to their number daily those who were being saved. If we do this, if we live out community the way God desires, we will win favor of people and people will come to know Jesus. It's, it, it breaks my heart that this version of Christianity that's been sent out into the world has become very unappealing because frankly, God coming to rescue you based off his merit rather than your own is the most beautiful thing I could possibly imagine. And the fact that the, oh, friends, we have to live this out People will be running to Jesus and we'll get to see it happen. It's gonna take effort though. It takes effort to move from a me mentality to a we community in an individualistic society. But this is what God has designed us for. 
Think of a couple ways we can do this. The first way we can commit to community is by being at church every single week, weekly corporate worship, being in that regular rhythm. As we learn from our fellow Christians in Acts 2 to 42, we gotta gather frequently for devoting ourselves to the apostles' teaching and to fellowship, to the breaking of bread and to prayer. What they did in church, we continue in the same spirit. Now, I know what some of you are thinking. Yeah, can't I just watch online? Like, and I understand, there are friends, if many people are off with family for Thanksgiving, it's good. Some of you are just checking us out. You're not ready to come in person, you get that. But can't I just watch online? Do I really need to be at church if I can take in the content? And I would say that yes, you can take content in any time. You can watch this sermon tomorrow, a month from now, a year from now, or you can watch a better sermon today from a better preacher. There's thousands of them on YouTube. Seriously, you could do it right now. But taking in content isn't committing to community. They're different things. Rick Warren, I think, explained it well in his famous book, The Purpose Driven Life. He explains that having meaningful fellowship and community requires being in smaller groups with people in person. He says, you can worship with a crowd, but you can't fellowship with one. See, committing to community means we have to take this and take it to a smaller group. Uh, stumbled across something very interesting listening to some podcasts a couple weeks ago. They're interviewing Mark Zuckerberg, the guy who made Facebook, and they're trying to understand how they're gonna make this a whole like new video screen sharing community thing better. And he said what's happened is they've realized that they have made screens and videos and cameras, but it's not a replacement for being with people face to face. They're actually trying to make the new um, camera technology try to reflect our faces more naturally to copy biology. They're, really, they're literally trying to copy what happens when our bodies meet in person rather than whenever they meet online. Interesting stuff. God's designed us to be together. I understand, friends, somewhere online. Look forward to seeing you in person. Have fun with your families over Thanksgiving. But being here is important. Gathering together for weekend service helps us get biblical teaching, corporate worship, and communion, but it doesn't help us build those close relationships that we need. This is where small groups come in. You need to be in a small group. We have lots of them here at the church. They're called Grow Together Groups. You should just be in one. That's, that's part of God's design. Or maybe you start your own group. My friend Scott, he serves here, volunteers on the security team. He actually created his small group. He meets with a group of guys for Old Testament Bible study that meets downtown over coffee, and they've been doing it consistently, catch this, for 22 years. They are committed to spurring each other on, and these men are mature in their faith. And they go to different churches, which I think is incredible. Some of them go, to, go here to First Christian Church. Some go to D1 Naz, uh, First Church of the Nazarene on the north end of town. One guy goes to the Vineyard Church in Champaign. But they gather together to spur each other on. They started their own group. Maybe you should do the same. And if you don't know how to start your own group, that's okay. The people here, Pastor Adam wants to get you in a group. He'll help you do that but we need it, it's by God's design. Friends, family, 
brothers and sisters, this is the way that I would love to spur you on today, to encourage you in your faith, to provoke you towards love and good deeds. This is the practice that I want to see you put on your shelf and use frequently. It's not decoration. Let's gather for weekly corporate worship and get into a small group because when we do those things regularly, we will be spurred on in our faith.